Yo, is this thing on? Wow, um, we're really doing this. Hello, uh, my name's McKenna Green. Welcome to the very first episode of More Than a Body. Very new to this, so please bear with me as I try to understand exactly how this whole podcasting thing works. I am coming to you live from my apartment in my hash-slinging slasher boxers that are, uh, on backwards. Oops. To share the story of my uphill battle with food and body image. And when I say that, I suppose I should really say to share the story of how I developed an eating disorder that kind of took over my life and in my perception of myself. I'm starting this podcast because for years I've derived all of my self-worth from what my body looks like and what others have to say about it. I am just one person and if you're listening to this, you're probably my mom. Hi, Mom. But I know that what I have to share is important, and it it needs to be heard. The body image issue that young women face today, I think, is far more destructive than people realize. And it really wasn't until I began to go through it myself that I saw how it took over everything else in my life and honestly just consumed me. Having walked that and been through it, that's really what's motivated me to start just to to bring awareness and to help other people that, that might be struggling as well. Learning to love yourself is a struggle that I think many women face behind closed doors and, and I'm really just hoping that in sharing my recovery journey as I walk it, I'll be able to educate others at the same time. And I, I don't really have a hope that this will make it super far, but honestly, that's okay. Because I know that there's one girl out there who feels a lot like I did. Lost, unseen, scared, hopeless. And if this can make it to your ears, if I can make you feel validated and less alone, if you can find just a piece of yourself within my story, then this will be all worth it. This one is for you. Real talk, um, being vulnerable is super scary, and I've never been great at it, but throughout this whole podcasting thing, I'll probably be talking a lot about very personal topics, so please be patient with me as I learn how to do that. In this first episode, I I really just want to talk about my story and my battle with exercise and food and body and how it all kind of just spiraled out of control. A little bit about me. I'm 22. I recently got my personal trainer certification. For the longest time, I've wanted to open my own gym, a woman's only gym. It's just teach women how to be strong and move heavy shit. That's been my sole focus. It was that certification and that dream. Anywhoville, if you know me at all, and if you're listening to this, you probably do because I don't really have much of an audience yet. You know that I love to exercise. It's probably one of my biggest passions. I've built my future goals and dreams around it, and I've spent a great deal of my time sort of just honing that craft and focusing on it. If you follow my social media, you see the PRs that I post on my Instagram feed and how hype I get every time I hit a new number. You see the new movements that I try out or the variations that I add into my routine. You see me being motivational and encouraging others in my captions that are literally four essays long. Shout out to my English degree. 
But what you might not know is that that love and passion for physical movement sort of evolved into a disordered relationship with food and exercise that's kind of spread like a cancer through a lot of other parts of my life. You haven't seen the tears that I've cried after binging episodes. You haven't heard the things I tell myself after I feel like I've failed in my exercise routine or my diet. You haven't seen the times that I've shown up to the gym weak, feeling like I was going to pass out. You haven't seen the way that love turned into an unhealthy obsession that literally took over every thought, feeling, and action that I had. And that's the story that I want to tell today. The story on the other side of that glass, the story that nobody gets to see, the story that I, ha- I haven't really let anybody else see. I think it will kind of lay the foundation for a lot of other conversations I hope to start on this podcast. So I'm just gonna dive right in. How did I become so body obsessed? Beyond me, I feel like as I've started to share this story, I've realized how body obsessed a lot of other people are. But how did I become so body obsessed? I've been asking myself that for a very long time, and I'm still kind of trying to to get those answers, but let me first start with the question, what do I mean when I say that my self-worth depended solely on my body? I mean that if I didn't like what I physically saw in the mirror, then I I quite literally hated myself and, and everything that I stood for. I started chasing the leanest possible version of myself. And anytime that I was bloated or couldn't perfectly see my abs and like, dude, bloating happens. I'm a female. Like I've got a period. Shit happens. But anytime I couldn't perfectly see my muscles or my abs, I hated myself. I told myself that I was worthless. I told myself I wasn't doing enough. I wasn't working hard enough. I wasn't going to be enough for someone. I wasn't worthy of love. That no one would ever find me beautiful or attractive in any way. When I would hit the gym, you know, I'm I'm surrounded by mirrors, so all I really have to look at is my body, and, and if I'm honest, everybody in there, they've got body dysphoria up the wazoo. And so we're all checking ourselves out as we're working, and it's it's kind of an ego stroke. But when you're doing that, if I didn't like what I looked like, I didn't like myself. But if I liked what I would look like, if I if I lifted up my shirt and saw that I had perfect abs, it was almost like I could like I could exhale. I would think to myself, okay, I look good. Okay, now people can like me. Now I can like myself because I look good because I'm not who I used to be or what I used to look like. And the crazy thing about that was I didn't even like myself as I was saying those things. I just convinced myself that I would like myself because society would like me because I fit into these beauty standards and ideals. If you know anything about the mirror, it's that it can lie to you. If you, if I was in somebody else's body for a day and I saw myself crossing the street, hopefully with a donut in hand because that's just how I like to picture it. I'm hungry right now. (laughs) But I probably wouldn't even recognize myself. And honestly, neither would you. The way that we see ourselves is completely dependent on our own internal beliefs about ourselves. Half the time when when I'd look in the mirror, I was constantly nitpicking these things about my body that probably were mere illusions, but were totally real in my mind. If my arms weren't shredded, then for the rest of the day, it was like I carried this ball of anger in my chest. 
just like a growing pit. And I let that self-hatred fester in me and it was all I could think about all day. It set the tone for my entire day. I promise I'm going to get into why I think that sort of evolved. I'm just going to talk a little bit about what that what that felt like at first. going to paint a little bit of a picture before we go into the backstory of how Tom Riddle became Lord Voldemort. Doing schoolwork, taking exams, working, all those things literally only had 25% of my attention because these negative thoughts about myself were maggots just crawling through my brain. They were just burrowing and creating more and more tunnels. And when you think about it, it was kind of like they were carving out other parts of my brain, parts that were reserved for other parts of life, like the motivation to go to work or the creativity that I needed in my English classes or the passion that I had for other hobbies like playing the guitar or drawing. The human brain, it makes space for those things, for relationships and school and work and hobbies and passions and our emotions. But when you have intrusive thoughts coming in at a constant, they eat up those parts of your brain and those parts that were reserved for all the other aspects of life kind of just disappear. Poof. And all that's really left is is more space for this giant controlling obsession. There isn't room for anything else. And the worst part is you often don't even have the mental capacity to rationalize or think logically anymore. You've lost that ability. So you can't understand that this is what's happening to you. You just completely lose yourself and you're unaware of it because you become someone else entirely and in that I know for me it felt like something I just had to accept so for a long time I sort of just closed my eyes fell off the edge of the cliff and hoped that I would survive the impact how did I get there where did the line from exercising cross over into deadly territory It might not be incredibly insightful, this episode, or informational, but I feel that it's important to discuss what kind of led me to this point because everyone's story is different. Not everyone's path or relationship with food or their body is the same. And if I'm going to open the door here, I think it's important that you see how I got here, even if it wasn't how you ended up in that same space. As I mentioned before, I am 22 now. And when I first began struggling with how my body looked, I was 19. The summer before my freshman year of college, I had lost a lot of weight coming out of a bad breakup. Um, We all know how that is. And I was maybe 90 pounds soaking wet. So my doctor put me on some depression medication that caused me to gain a lot of weight. I didn't really realize that at first. But when you couple that with greasy cafeteria food and the freedom to eat whatever it is that you want in college... Yeah, I gained a significant amount of weight. Since I was young, I've always had a very fast metabolism. Growing up, I honestly was always made fun of for being flat-chested and and not having any type of curves. So weight gain was never something that I worried about and my body was never something I was super aware of other than the fact that everybody told me I had mosquito bites on my chest. I never really thought about what gaining weight would make me feel like. As I spent my first year in college, I, with the medication and the food, I also started going through some things that I couldn't really understand. Um, I started having these lapses in time where I couldn't remember where I'd been or what I had done or who I'd talked to. And I thought 
someone might have drugged me when I first started experiencing these kind of like little blackout episodes. It was honestly, it was terrifying. And when I went to see a therapist, I learned that what I was experiencing were symptoms of a dissociative disorder. Learning about all of that has been a truly excruciating process. It's not something that is easy to understand or comprehend, and I am still trying to learn more about it every day. At the time, it just made me scared of myself. The only person that I've ever felt like I could truly trust was myself, and it was like all of a sudden, I couldn't even trust myself. You've got, you're coming off a bad breakup, you're, you're eating cafeteria food, you're going through a lot of things, like all of that thrown together. My freshman year was a wild ride. But going through all that, I emotionally ate a lot. I mean, heck, we all do it. My comfort foods are without a doubt cookies, warm cookies. They have to be warm unless it's like Oreos with peanut butter and hmm, cereal. I, I am down bad for a good bowl of cereal. I would emotionally eat a lot. And I remember there was this time that my sister had called me crying because of some things going on at home and my heart stopped. Nearly a few minutes later that I received a call that my grandfather had been taken by ambulance and put on suicide watch. These were things I didn't always feel comfortable talking about with friends because I've, I've always kept my emotions pretty close to the vest. And on days like that day, I would get out of the shower and tell my friends, okay, we're gonna order three pizzas, a 32-piece parm bite from Domino's, two boxes of cinnamon twists, and I'm gonna go get a milkshake from the campus store downstairs. Chocolate, of course. And that was just, that was just how I did it. It was like, I just ate food and shoved everything down and didn't have to think about it. The thing is, I liked myself back then. I liked that my friends knew I was the goofiest person in the room and that they loved that about me. I liked that they knew if they ever felt like the world was crashing down on them, they could knock on my door and I would be there to help in any capacity that I could. I liked that I was tender and thoughtful and passionate and extremely attentive. I liked that I I wanted to listen to what other people had to say. So when the stretch marks started to freckle my thighs and my little booty cheeks, I didn't really think anything of it. Coming home after that first year, I wasn't even really overweight. Like, that's the thing about all this is as I wasn't even really overweight, I just, it was more weight than I'd ever had on my body. I just weighed more than I ever had because I'd always been really skinny. But I think when I went back home for the summer, I just met everyone with shock. Everyone had something to say about my body and how it had grown. Whether it was about the fact that my mosquito bites finally became beehives Oh my God, please forgive me for even saying that. Saying that I was dumb thick, like I became acutely aware of how I looked where before I hadn't even really considered it. When I first came home, my my cousin was getting married and I, I remember not being able to fit into the dress that I'd ordered before I left for school. And my mom tried and tried to zip it up and I could just feel the embarrassment suffocate me like a heavy blanket at the fact that it, it wouldn't zip. And when the pictures from that wedding were posted, I was in shock. It was like I was looking at a completely different person. I didn't recognize myself. And that was the first time I really realized how much my body had changed. I saw my arms without sleeves for the first time in that dress. And I I felt disgusted at how bits of 
fat and skin puckered out from under the areas where the dress like just cinched against my skin. I started working out a lot that summer. No cardio, just weightlifting because I didn't really understand what the process of losing weight looked like. I, I wasn't very familiar with how that system worked. I hadn't ever really considered it before. But at the same time, I also kind of started starving myself. I began to drink these keto shakes. They were literally packets of chocolate powder that you'd mix into water and have three times a day instead of a meal. It was awful. The whole purpose of them is to like cleanse your system. And I don't even know if I can say this, but when I tell you that my butthole felt like Sandy Cheeks had just put a drop of volcano sauce on it, oh my gosh. I couldn't even sit down. It hurt so bad. It didn't really help that at the same time my mom was taking these shakes too because she wanted to lose weight. And beyond that, she'd bought me a few of the packets. And this isn't to shame my mom or anything. She's amazing and has been super supportive through all of this. But when you have someone in your life almost helping you engage in behaviors that might not be so healthy... It kind of just affirms the voices in your head, the voices that tell you you need to lose weight or starve yourself. For me, it was very much like, okay, if my mom's buying me these shakes and she's not telling me that I don't need them, then my weight must be a problem if she's, if she's trying to help me. From her perspective, she was just having me try something that she had heard might help her. She saw how self-conscious I was that summer and she didn't want me to feel that way. So she thought losing weight would help me feel better. And a lot of times I think the behaviors and actions of those around us can be damaging to our perception of ourselves. But it isn't even that people intend for that to happen. Oftentimes they're just hoping that they're helping. And that's another thing I, I really want to touch on a lot in the future of this podcast. Having my mom buy me those shakes and kind of like hearing about how my butthole felt like it was on fire and just being like, yeah, it's, you know, it's meant to cleanse you. It kind of just made me feel like, okay, so this is something that's good to do if I want to lose weight. This is something I should be doing. The weight wasn't coming off fast enough though. I remember thinking that if I could cut it off with a dull knife, I would have, no matter how much it hurt. And that summer I, I worked at my dad's taco shop and one night I was watching these two girls eat my favorite taco. Oh my gosh, it's beautiful. It's with pork and pineapple and it's everything good in this world. They were so happy. And I'd brought an apple for dinner that night, an apple and a packet of my diarrhea juice. And I was watching them laugh. And I just remember marveling at how they could be so thin, but put this greasy pork booty in their mouth without gaining weight while, while still remaining thin. And the fact that they could just eat stuff like that, they could go out and get a greasy taco so mindlessly, made me just sink into myself. While they're just enjoying their night, like they had no idea that at that moment, some distance away, I was tearing myself apart inside and I was watching them like a major creeper. And that is creepy, I'm, I'm sorry. But they had no idea that I was watching and I, I felt that I was enduring a struggle that no one else could understand. When I could finally tear my eyes away from that super innocent moment for them, I went and I threw that apple I'd brought for dinner into the garbage can. Words cut deep. I think everyone knows this. We want to think that they don't, but they do. And I had this friend in college that I think only cemented this idea that I was 
only as good as I physically looked. These comments that were made by this person were probably some of the most damaging to my self-esteem. My friend came to visit me that summer at my house and we went tubing, you know, where they pull you behind a boat on a lake. My brother was in the boat pulling us in while we were on the tube and my friend randomly said to me, you know, you and your brother are kind of opposite. He has a nice body but a shitty personality and you've got a shitty body but the good personality. And I remember without even a pause, I laughed over this giant lump in my throat. He had no idea that all summer I'd been practically starving myself, that I'd been hating myself. And I just, I couldn't even bring myself to show him that what he'd said had hurt me, but it sat in my stomach like a parasite. I'd lost weight, but with this comment, all of that progress was erased. I became hellbent on losing more weight. In that moment, all I wanted to do was prove to everyone that had made any type of comment that I could become something they couldn't see. And it felt like the only way to do that was to make my body go through some sort of intense transformation. Tell me I can't do something and it only makes me chase it that much harder. And with my body and those comments, it very much became something that I wanted to prove. Nobody wants to be a person with a quote-unquote shitty body and a good personality. We want to love ourselves all around. I don't know, that comment truly just broke me. It, it just made me feel like, okay, if I'm gonna prove it to anybody that I can look good, it's gonna be this person right here. Flash forward like a year, COVID hit, and I fell into all aspects of exercise just very naturally. I took up long distance running, sprinting, and weightlifting pretty seriously. At this time, it was more of a coping mechanism for me. I honestly just fell in love with seeing what my body could do and the way it helped me cope with my struggles and my emotions. To the same degree, I found myself constantly body checking, lifting up my shirt to see if I had abs, poking my stomach to see you know, how much fat there was before my stomach became harder. And I couldn't understand why after working out so rigorously and finally incorporating cardio that I couldn't see them. At that time, I didn't really understand the role that diet played or the role that calories played in having abs and being able to see them because you need a very low body fat percentage to see them. But I was very determined to get them. In my mind, my stomach was like the source of all of my fat. So once I could shed all of that, I felt like I, I could finally be happy with myself. After the COVID summer, I went back to school and I saw all my friends again for the first time moving into my new apartment and I had told them about how I'd really taken up exercising and it became, you know, a huge, a huge passion of mine. And I also told them just about the comments that our friend would make. When he actually came over to our apartment, my friends went to bat for me. Why would you say McKenna was fat? And I remember sitting there silent, embarrassed, like, hey man, I didn't mean to snitch on you. But at the same time, I was waiting for his response. In my head, I wanted him to be like, oh yeah, I'm really sorry about that. Like, you look really good now. I wanted the recognition for all the work that I'd put in over the summer. But instead, in front of literally all my friends, he laughed and was like, what? Are we just going to pretend that she wasn't fat? That's fine if we're going to do that. I just didn't realize that's what we were doing sitting there in front of people that were super important to me, people whose opinions really mattered to me. Those words made me want to crawl so far into myself that no one could ever find me, not even myself. To have someone argue that I was fat in front of all these people, it was 
degrading and humiliating and honestly, I wanted to claw my skin off. The hate that I had for myself started burning all of the good things that I had in me. It was comments like that and moments like that where I just started to hate myself because I was like, okay, I didn't put in enough work. People still see me one way. How can I, how can I change that? Once I got into macro tracking, it was, it was all downhill from there, baby. You know that episode of Spongebob where him and Patrick, like, they try to go home from Glove World, but they end up at rock bottom? And people are, like, making weird noises, and they have these huge eyes and ears and, like, weird tentacles? That is pretty much precisely where downloading my fitness pal got me. That app, I'm sorry to the creators who created that app, but, like, it is the app from hell. But I, I downloaded it because someone told me if you want to start seeing results, like, that's what you got to do. So I started eating right. I started eating more protein. I started taking creatine and, and yo, my body, she transformed. I became this shredded, lean animal that I had been chasing for so long. I was eating 130 grams of protein a day and I was eating healthy. I'd, I'd stopped eating foods that were high in sugar or high in fat because before, yeah, maybe I was putting in a good three hours at the gym a day, but I was still coming home. Cooking is a huge coping mechanism for me. I was still coming home and making brown sugar barbecue ribs for everybody in my apartment. I was still, you know, going out for late night ice cream and getting thousand calorie malts just because I was enjoying life. That's balance right there. Maybe not the three hours in the gym, but being able to move your body in a way that you enjoy and still eat things that you like, that's, that's balance. But I threw that balance out the window once I started macro tracking. Eggs became egg whites and regular cheese became fat-free cheese. Ground beef became 99% lean ground turkey. I started making all those, all those swaps to be quote-unquote healthy. And so I started seeing these results because, you know, you couple eating right finally with working out for three hours a day and my abs finally came in. And to me, they were like a status symbol. No one could look at me with my stomach being like that because statistically it is so, so hard for women to even get abs because we naturally just hold more fat to protect our female organs. So to me, it was like if I had those, no one not even that that friend of mine could look at me and make me feel fat or make me feel physically less than anymore because I had reached a point that most people couldn't get to. Bought a scale, not the kind that you weigh yourself on, although I did do that a lot. I bought a food scale, started weighing everything out, my snacks and drinks and meals, and before I would even wake up for the next day, I had all my meals planned and logged into my fitness pal. The spontaneity that's supposed to come with food disappeared. Sometimes I would plan days in advance. I completely cut out sweets, ripped my Girl Scout cookies, love you forever, rest in peace to all the sugary cereals. I cut out meat that wasn't chicken or that 99% lean ground turkey. All the good stuff like steak or, or barbecue, the stuff that we live for was no more in my life. And every day... It was like a to-do list. All my meals became a to-do list. It wasn't like normal people where you just eat whatever's on the table when you come home from school or where you think about what you're craving and then go out to the store and put something together for dinner. Everything was very well thought out. Before the day would even begin, I knew everything that I was going to eat because I had to make it almost fit into this puzzle so I could hit all of these macros and eat in a way that I deemed good. 
touching on that, that good food now had labels, good and bad. And when I ate what was low calorie and high in protein, it was good. I was good. And when I ate something that was higher in calories, sugar, or fat, and lower in protein, it was bad. I was bad. And I mean, obviously that happens because when you're around people that have a healthy relationship with food, naturally they're going to offer you chips and salsa. You know, you're just going to be around food that in what was my mind would be bad. And so anytime I would eat foods that weren't in my plan, I considered myself bad. I made myself feel guilty for doing so. And when you do that, the guilt that you feel, the constantly telling yourself that you're bad, you train your brain to believe it, that you are bad. And so that's what you embody. That's what you become. That's what I became. I cared a lot less about eating to eat and more about eating to feel full. I didn't want to go hungry, so I started eating for volume. Cauliflower rice instead of rice, rice cakes and bagel thins instead of bagels. I wasn't satisfied until I felt full, full, because I hated sitting up at night and feeling like the hunger in my stomach was going to gnaw a hole through my skin. And when I first started tracking, there were a lot of times where I was hungry and it was nighttime and we were just watching a movie and it was like, okay, I can't eat. I can't eat. I can't eat. I don't have room for this today. And so I I didn't ever want to feel like that. I just started eating for volume. Bro, let me tell you right now, If my fitness pal told me that I had 200 calories left to eat, even if I wasn't hungry, you bet your girl was going to eat those 200 calories and no one was going to stop me. But what that did was it sort of canceled out my hunger and fullness cues. As humans, we are born, we have a natural intuition to eat when we're hungry and to stop when we're full. And when I was tracking those signals just started to fade because I would eat at times when I wasn't hungry. I'd force myself to get in that extra protein that I needed. And sometimes I wouldn't allow myself to eat when I was hungry. When that happened, when that does happen, your body just sort of loses its ability to trust you. Now it's like, okay, well, I don't really know that you're going to eat when you're hungry. I don't really know when you're full and when you're not. So now when I'm hungry, Sometimes I don't even know it and I won't eat or I can be full and have absolutely no idea and I'll just continue until I'm sick. Since I had quit eating all of my favorite foods, I started allowing myself one cheat day a week. I saw that in the bodybuilding community and I was like, oh, cool. So that's a good excuse to, you know, have some peanut butter and some brownies. And so that cheat day became the only day I would really even allow myself to socialize. I would be nearly counting down the days to that day. It was normally like a Saturday. And I'd invite all my friends, text them, yo, like my cheat days is Saturday. We're going to go get Mexican. Do you want to come? I would choose exactly where we were going. I'd look at the menu beforehand. I knew what I was going to order before we even got there. And then I'd have plans to what we were going to do for dessert. And I couldn't even enjoy the time with them when we were out to eat because literally all I could think about while we were waiting for the food was when the food was going to arrive and how it was going to taste and how it was going to make me feel. And then the food would come and I would shovel it down my throat so fast. It was like, oh my gosh, I haven't allowed myself to have this. So I just, I have to inhale it. There was no stopping to taste it. I just inhaled that crap. I'd watch all my friends and they'd put their forks down with things still on their plate, but I, I couldn't. My cheat days led to really unhealthy binge eating episodes. 
I would eat whole pizzas, like a whole pizza to myself with like a bottle of ranch. Not, I wouldn't eat the whole bottle of ranch, but like your girl brings her own ranch to the function. I'd eat that pizza and a sleeve of Oreos, multiple brownies, a pint of ice cream. It was crazy. And I mean, all my friends would watch and they'd be like, dude, I have no idea how you do this. And I was just like, oh, like I work out a lot. Like, you know, your girl can put away food. Kind of playing it off as a joke, but in reality, I was ashamed. It's embarrassing to, when you're in the middle of a binge eating episode, to eat that much in front of people because you already feel like a freak. So when people are like, oh, I don't know how you do that. Internally, you're like, dude... I don't know how I do it either. Please send help. In the moment, in my mind, it was, okay, you have to eat everything you want to eat right now on this precise day because once the sun goes down and tomorrow comes, you won't be able to eat any of this food again. Once once you go to bed, the cheat day's over. So I brought on the Oreos and peanut butter and all the foods I loved but I wouldn't allow myself to eat. And I would hide it from the people that I cared about because I felt disgusted with myself. And when I was done, sometimes I would lay in my bed in just excruciating pain. My stomach sounded like your grandma's farts after she eats a bean burrito with extra sour cream. It was a rough time because it was so not used to eating that much food. And there were times I almost drove myself to the hospital because I I was like, my stomach is so unnaturally full. In my mind's eye, I could imagine it being stretched to where it was paper thin and I there were times I was afraid it could burst open and I would die like it would pop like it was my appendix beyond the physical feeling though I hated myself after these binge eating episodes I was so ashamed because I couldn't understand why I would eat to that point after I'd eat I'd be like that wasn't even really worth it it didn't even really taste that good yeah it didn't even have a taste after a while and I would get so angry at myself for not being able to stop that I just wanted to tear my hair out the guilt and shame snaked its way into my ears into my brain and had me around the throat I would tell myself I was worthless and disgusting and ugly and unlovable just this giant problematic screw up that no one would ever be able to understand or love because I didn't understand or love myself. I didn't know what was wrong with me and it just made me have so much, so much self-hatred. I was just like, I don't understand why I do this. I don't understand why I can't be normal. I don't understand why food, something so simple as a potato chip could be my kryptonite, my downfall, man. How? In the day after, you best believe I was doing hours of cardio and lifting or I was using laxatives to try and undo what I had done the night before. Like it was PEMDAS or something and the multiplication and division like canceled one another out. The laxative made me, I don't even know what I thought there, but food obsessive thoughts kind of took over my life at that point social events where I was going out to restaurants with my friends on days that weren't my cheat day and I didn't know the macronutrient content of what was in whatever I ordered gave me intense anxiety. Every meal or social gathering or snack that wasn't planned or made by me was a rigorous hour-long back and forth between this irrational voice in my head and my own voice which was getting quieter and quieter every day until my own voice, me, was barely even a whisper in my head. Instead of looking at hanging out with friends as fun, I saw it 
almost like field of mines that I would have to carefully step over at every turn so that I wouldn't blow up and fall apart. The enjoyment of food and even just social life in general was completely stripped away. I was body checking myself all the time. I was working out for longer and pushing myself to the point where sometimes I couldn't even function. There were times my body would completely shut down on me. It was screaming for help. Help, I need to rest. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't listen. There were times I didn't even have the strength almost to lift my fingers. I felt so weak and I, I couldn't comprehend why. Here I was, I got down to like 12% body fat pretty much lost my period, amenorrhea is what it's called, and I still didn't even like how I looked in the mirror. I would look in the mirror and still think that I just wasn't lean enough. So even in doing more, even in getting to this aha point where it's like, aha, people can't call me fat, I still wasn't happy with myself. I still didn't like myself. And I think as a society, we place so much emphasis on this idea that weight loss equals happiness. I mean, I'm guilty of it. I posted my transformation on my Instagram and was like, oh my gosh, like I feel so much happier, blah, 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 blah. And everybody does this. We correlate weight loss with happiness. Happiness is not that, man. Happiness is the fact that I just bought a new Legend of Zelda game and you best believe I'm going to go play that after this podcast. Happiness is the fact that my dog gives me little kisses. Happiness is the sound of my sister laughing when we spend time together. Anywhoville, I put this unexplainable distance between not only myself and I, not only these two people battling within me, but between myself and everyone that I loved. I think the worst thing, the worst thing about an eating disorder that most people don't even realize is that it quite literally changes who you are. When you have this other voice in your head telling you you aren't enough, that you're not worthy, that you're all of these terrible things, you become full of anger and sadness. You become everything that that voice tells you you are. You make yourself unlovable, unreachable, unable to be understood because that's what you keep telling yourself you are. You fit yourself into that mold. And you become so tired because your mental space is always taken up by these toxic thoughts that you don't even have the energy or the time to invest it anywhere else. In friendships, in social situations, in anything. And you don't even have the the energy anymore to fight back. It's like someone is holding you underwater and they have been for a while. It's to the point now where you almost think, okay, this is it. And they finally let you up. They finally let you up for a minute above the surface and you don't have the energy because you've been held down for so long. You don't have the energy to punch them in the face and fight them off so you can get away. You only have the energy to take a deep breath before they stuff you right back under again. That's what having an eating disorder is like. To that degree, recovery just felt impossible to me. When you see yourself in such a negative light, you assume everyone else does too. I had made exercise and staying lean my whole identity. And if I began to change that and recover, would the people around me even still see the worth in me? My worth came from my body. Could they remember the parts of me outside of just my body that had at that point been lost for so long? I couldn't remember them. I couldn't love myself for my personality. How could they? Could they love me for those things and and would they be enough for them if they didn't feel like they were enough for me? 
how was I supposed to be enough? How were other people supposed to see value in me as, as my body changed if I only saw value in me and my body? Like I just assumed that's where everybody else saw the value as well. I had this deep, deep-seated fear that getting better would mean that the people around me would walk away from me because I would no longer be enough to them. I had this fear that if I didn't like myself, if my body started to change because I started eating more and exercising less and going down that road of recovery and I didn't like myself, I felt like people in my life that were important to me would walk away too. And that's a scary place to be because when you're in recovery or when you're even going through something like that, you do, you need a solid a solid support system. It's like I said, you don't even really have the energy to fight back or to get better. If you're walking on one leg without a crutch, you do kind of rely on people to be able to help you. Trust me when I say I've relied on my family immensely through this process. It's important for me too to say that in no way should your support systems be expected to fix or alter their life so you can get better. They have their own lives too and ultimately the only person that can fix this for you is yourself. I'm just trying to articulate that having a good support system can be really beneficial and important as you begin to accept help and work to change the eating patterns that might not be helpful to you. Anywhoville, back on track, it was that fear of losing people that I cared about from really accepting or walking into recovery for a long time. I was driving one day on my way home from work, thinking about all of that and feeling just incredibly hopeless because I was exhausted, I was worn out, and I was so tired of feeling like there was literally no way out. I was so tired of thinking about food all the time. And I remember thinking to myself, if it's either eat what I want and hate my body or don't eat what I want and miss out on other aspects of life, then I don't even, I don't even want to be here. And when I thought that in my head, deep down in me, that, that tiny whisper, that voice that was still me, broke at those words because I felt them and I knew they were true. I knew that if living was how I was living, then I didn't want to live. It sounds dramatic, but like that's, that's how I felt in those moments was it was like, if this is all my life is, this is not a life that I want to lead. And in those moments, I know I couldn't even think about the people that I'd leave behind because I was so caught up in the overwhelming suffering that I was going through and call it selfish like I was. That was when I knew I needed help though. And I'm lucky because not a lot of people can even realize that or get to that point. So I began to look into resources. I found a binge eating counselor. I actually just yesterday had a strategy call to see if I would be a good fit for a recovery program called the Food Freedom Masterclass. It's a program run by a woman named Jessie Jean who has an incredible podcast called the Dear Body Podcast. Highly recommend you check it out. I haven't used a scale to weigh my food out now in over two months. I haven't tracked anything in two months. I deleted my fitness pal. Yesterday, we had lunch in my office and I had two slices of pizza and was able to walk away feeling satisfied and full without wanting to eat the whole thing. I've gotten crumble cookies. Those are literally, oh, oh, chef's kiss. With my sister, without feeling guilt or swallowing each cookie whole in the span of two minutes, 
I took 12 days off of the gym and I have skipped my regular 45 minute cardio sessions three days in a row simply just because I didn't feel like it. And this all didn't just, you know, happen when I was like, oh, I need help. This has been a process of mine as I've accepted that I need help. But let me tell you that realizing that you need help is the first step that opens the door to all of these other wins. Movement to me is starting to feel good again. When I was out of the gym um, for like the last 12 days, I lost a decent amount of weight. I wasn't really eating like I should. And yesterday I just went and lifted weight to lift weight and it felt amazing just to hit numbers. But it's these small wins, these little victories that remind me of what living is like. They remind me of who I am outside of my body. Don't get me wrong, I've got I've got a long way to go and recovery is a one step forward and two steps back kind of process, but I'm hoping that as I learn and educate myself, I'll be able to educate others, even if it's just my mom or my aunt listening. The body-centric society that girls are facing at younger and younger ages needs to change. Through this journey, the number of women that I've talked to and, and shared my story with that have shared their own struggle with food and body issues has been insane. And that's what really made me realize I'm not facing this alone. This is a, a real problem and it's been ingrained into our society. If you've listened this far, I really just want to say thank you. I don't like the sound of my voice on recording. So if you've listened this far, you, you truly deserve a kiss from the queen herself, Betty White. Thank you. Please like, save, and share so that this podcast can grow and find its way to someone that really needs it. And if you do really need it, I'm so happy that you found it. In the next episode, I'm going to kind of touch on some of the things that have happened throughout my life that have influenced my eating habits and perception of my body. Things like how our parents can play a huge role in our perception of ourselves and how family eating routines can also inadvertently affect our present eating patterns. In the future, I'm planning to talk about social media and its role in our lives, techniques you can use to start building a better body image, diet culture, eating disorders, and so much more. I am just one girl with a crazy head of hair and a weird love for cheese, Asiago preferably, but I hope that the narrative young women are facing each day can be changed. If you're listening and you at all relate to my story, please know you're not alone. Please know that I see you. I'm taking my hands and lifting your eyes up so you can see into mine. You're not alone. There is hope and we will get through this together. You are beautiful and valid and worthy of the most beautiful things life has to offer. I'm going to go play some Legend of Zelda and eat some Nutter Butters, but hopefully I will see you on the next episode. Thanks for listening. I am only human, and this podcast is a record of my education, learning, and recovery process. I am not an expert on recovery or eating disorders. I am just sharing what it is that has helped me in my journey and the knowledge and research I've done that I think could be beneficial to others. It is never my intent to say something harmful or offensive to anyone. And if for some reason I've spoken in a way I shouldn't have or that was damaging to you, please feel free to privately message me so I can continue to be more mindful and aware as this podcast grows and continues.